Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want, want to know, know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. I am here as every intro with our lovely podcast assistant, Emma. What is this week's Ask the Every Girl question? So the upcoming episode is all about friendship. And as a podcast and as the every girl in general, we get a lot of questions about friendship. We answer many of those in the interview to come. So stay tuned. But I wanted to call out one specific question that we get pretty frequently for this Ask the Every Girl so that we can go a little bit more in depth. The question is, many of my friends are getting married and having kids, but I'm still living my independent single life and happily, might I add. How do I deal with having a different mindset than friends? Mm. Is I think a common issue across life stages. I think that you are much better equipped to answer this than I am. So I'll kind of let you take the wheel. We definitely talk so much about this in this episode that Danielle shares really good tips for. So I'm excited for people out there who's dealing with similar situations to hear all of Danielle's tips. But I am so glad that you called this out and we can like dissect it a little bit more because even since the Evergirl started over 10 years ago, like truly, this has been one of the most common questions that we've gotten asked by our audience, from our readers, from our listeners. It's something that we all experience. Like it's such a unique thing in your 20s and 30s where you're suddenly in different places and all of your other friends. And I also love that this person wanted to add the happily. I yeah. really appreciate that. I love that they're happily living their single life, but it's just that they right. want to be able to find the common ground with their friends. So how to, so what they say, how to deal with having a different mindset than their friends when it comes to being in different life phases. Like I said, Danielle gives a lot of good tips in this episode, so I won't go too much into the tangibles, but I do have a hot take. I think with any friendships, You need to make sure that you can build new memories together and you see them a part of your future rather than as a routine from your past. I think that a lot of friendships are dependent on talking about memories or gossiping about people you went to high school with, right? Like I can think of many friendships I've had before where we have no relationship out of talking shit about the people we were in school with or even like sharing funny memories, but it wasn't like We weren't talking about our futures. We weren't even talking about our present together, really. You know, it was very much dependent on your past. So is this person really a part of your present and future? Or is it just kind of like their habit, their routine from your past, but they really don't have a place in where your life is now? 
there's so much to be said about a friendship you've had for a long time. Friends that have seen you through different life phases, there's so much to be said for that. And that is so valuable. But when it's only the thing you talk about, when you're only talking about nights from your past or people from your past, and that friend only sees you as that past friendship and they don't really see who you are in your present and they're not a part of your future, then that's when you might want to think about if you would be friends with them if you met them now. Are they adding a valuable part of your life still? That's the first thing to think about. If you are like, yeah, that's my ride or die bitch. They add value to my life. I love them. I value them. I think it's really important when you're in different phases to take interest in what the other person is interested in. For example, you need to be engaged in your friend's wedding planning or your friend's pregnancy or their children, just like you would expect them and should expect them to be really engaged in your dating life for your career, the vacation you have coming up. True friendship is caring about what your friend would care about, even if you wouldn't care about on your own. When you're in those different life phases, you can still take complete excitement and engagement and interest in what your friend has going on in their life. And you should also expect that she takes that interest in your life. If you know, you have a friend that's getting married, having babies, and it's like all about her and she's not really interested in what you have going on in your life. That's a red flag to me. And like, that's something to vocalize and talk through because I feel like that's how friendships get through being in such drastic different places when you don't have as much to relate on is because you can just be genuinely so interested in what they have going on and they should be the same for you. To respond to this question about how to deal with having a different mindset, I think it's finding other people to check the boxes that you may need. Like if you need someone to go get drunk with on Friday and go on embarrassing mm -hmm. double dates with while your friends are wifed up and watching Bluey, isn't that the kids show? Bluey, whatever, like kids show at home on Friday night. Like I think it's important to find other people to check the boxes that you need while you can still keep up and support the friendships that you've had. But I also think it's embracing and appreciating what makes other people different from you. I, I think especially when it comes to friendships, we have this idea that like everybody should be the same, you know, that they should think the same. They should have the same values. They should be in the same life place. So then when we're not in the same life place or they have a different value or they have a different thought, we have this panic of like, oh, my God, they're not the right friend for us. And I actually think that there is so much value in appreciating what's different. That's why friendship is cool, because it gets you to learn, to be curious, to be outside of your bubble. And that's all a really good thing. So being different from your friends is a good thing. And, and that's what I would say to the mindset piece of it is embrace that. Know that it is a good thing that your friends are different from you, that you get to go through a different life in a different way through their eyes and they get to go through a different life through your eyes. Embrace it. Enjoy the fact that you all have so much to bring and offer to each other and that it doesn't actually have to be the same. There can be a lot of good in difference. I'm literally in the exact same place where I'm out here in LA just yeah. living life and so many of my best friends are having children, married. That's what's worked for me, though, is making sure in my friendships that are mothers, I know and love and care about their kids and they care about my career and they care about my relationship and my dog, like the things that are important yeah. to me, but also appreciating like that's so cool that I get to hear about 
what it's like for her being pregnant. It's an awesome thing to go through together. Even if I'm not going through it, I take interest in that. They take interest in me. And I think that that's what makes it work. Again, Danielle does share so many tangible tips, like how to have conversations, the exact time you need to put in to be making sure that those friendships stay. So listen through to the episode. I'm also curious, Emma, I was thinking of you in the interview and I'm like, Emma is in that prime phase where up until now have had all the friendships. I mean, again, you have to make friends and put an effort every phase, but you are almost like given this place where you get to pick and choose and find people. And then adulthood, you're like, well, fuck, what what do I do now? I would definitely describe my current thought process as, well, fuck, that seems like an accurate representation of how it feels for sure. But yeah, I could tell you were thinking of me in the interview as you asked some of those questions. I've only been here a couple months, so I haven't even had the opportunity to really experience what I would call platonic intimacy with any of the new people I've met because I've hung out with them like four or five times. We're working our jobs and that's how adult life is. It's not like being thrown into a dorm room. So her talking about the amount of time it takes to build a close friendship and the patience, because I've been so impatient. Well, it's really exhausting. It's a different experience than when you're in school and you see these people every single day. Then in college, you're spending all your time with a group of people. So then you quickly become best friends. When you're in the adult world, it takes a lot of time and effort. So it is exhausting when you're having to fabricate that yourself. Yeah, I do, in fact, live alone. And so that's another transition I'm experiencing. When you have a roommate, you're just sort of like existing in the same space. And so it's easy to get to that place of platonic intimacy super quickly because you're just spending that much time together. Hearing her talk about how you can stack your time with new friends. I'm like, oh, I should invite my friend who also works from home a few days a week to work from home together in a coffee shop because that's what I would be doing with a roommate. It's just like a more grown-up version. What do you feel like it was the hardest part for you moving to a new city, recently graduated, being in a different scenario to make friends? I did have an existential crisis about three weeks ago. I realized I need to have interests and like hobbies in order to connect with people. And I'm one of those people who just loved school and work. And I love my job so much, but also <laughs> have an interest in order to be interesting. So that's been the hardest part is being like, oh, I have like multiple things to work on for myself in order to know myself better and then create better connections from that self-knowledge. There is a lot of like self-reflection that you're not really forced to do until you're in this space where you're like, yeah. What kind of friend do I want? And then I have to be that friend first in order to have those kind of friendships. So it it requires a lot of self-reflection. I don't know. I know that that's like the main advice you hear to make new friends is find like-minded people, join a club. But I don't like to talk about my interests with my friends. I find friendships or I want friendships and people that have certain personality traits, which I guess is normal. So I just don't care if they're within my industry. I don't care that they're interested about wellness. I don't care that they're interested about Bravo. Those are my only couple interests. (laughs) But I want them to be like super fun, be curious about other people. So I that to me is the hardest part about finding friends as an adult 
And that's what I loved about sorority in college is because we came together because of our personality. And I thought that was amazing because then you meet so many people that have similar personalities to you. And that's what is important to me about friendships. I have to do some self-reflection. What kind of friend do I even want? That's something that you just do not have to think about until you are in free-floating adult state. So 100%. That's a great one. I'm going to be doing so much journaling. Have you had a preference in your life? Like, have you had a feeling of, I really want and value female friendships? Or some people feel the opposite where they're like, I actually don't like female friendships. I would describe myself as a girl's girl. I mean, I make friends with all kinds of people, obviously. But I would say that the most impactful friendships in my life have all been with women. Some of my closest friends and I have connected specifically over, I I guess, like feminine things or being able to talk about feminine coded things or about feminism or just our experiences as women. I feel like we're both (laughs) similar in this way. I feel Yeah. When I don't feel like I have a close female friendship, like currently in my space, that's the hardest part. So for example, moving to LA, one of my best friends in the world, he was here in LA at the time. And so that was so amazing. But I still felt like it's like the female friendship piece. That's what I miss when I don't have that immediate mm-hmm. female connection. This is a hot take, but I just don't trust the women who are like, oh, I'm more of a guy's girl. I don't really get along yeah, with maybe. girls. I'm like, that's something wrong with you. And I'm not saying that there aren't mean girls out there. People are people. So there's going to be amazing characteristics and there's going to be negative characteristics. And there's people of all genders that are not very nice. I'm not saying that every girl in the world is amazing. I have experienced mean girls in my past as well. But the girls that are like, I don't connect with other females, that is a character flaw on you. Like, <laughs> don't you think? I just don't trust them. I cannot trust girls that don't think yeah. that they get along with other girls. The like guys girl things does feel like a thing of the past or like very high school. I view it as more of like a trope. Like, I don't know that it actually exists. If it does, I'm not putting myself near those people. That's interesting. It really used to be a cool thing. That was the girl who was like, I'm so not drama. Yeah, I'm so, so cool. I just like hang out with the guy and like drink beer. And like, like that was the cool thing to be was the girl that's like, I don't get along with other girls because I yeah. don't do drama. So I wonder if it's just like less of a Gen Z thing, which I think that that shows that our culture is very much changing. Like, our representation of female friendships in media was very much things like mean girls where (laughs) it's mean girls. Friendships that demonstrating that it's like cattiness or Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera where it was like always women hitting against each other. That's what I remember growing up with is that view of female friendship in culture that's like, okay, you can be good friends, but you also have to be frenemies like Blair and Serena. There's always problems or there's always drama or there's always cattiness. So that's what I grew up with. And that's changing. Like obviously Barbie movie is the best example. There's power in female solidarity. In matriarchal world, Barbies just want to enjoy each other. They're indifferent to Ken's. They just want to hang out with each other and they're all supportive of each other. And so that's the message we're receiving. I also, I've had this thought for so long about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, and I've needed an outlet to share it with. We're bringing Travis Kelsey into this. I'm bringing Travis Kelsey into our discussion on female friendship. <laughs> okay. All right. Because something that I've noticed that I find fascinating is how big the Travis and Taylor thing has become. 
how his jersey's selling out. You can't keep it in stock just because the Swifties. All the Swifties are now watching Chief games. They're buying his jersey. What I find fascinating about that is you do not see all of the men supporting Cristiano Ronaldo's girlfriend. I don't even know who she is. You're not seeing men supporting the guys that they love, their significant others. But we're like, oh, Taylor loves him. We love him too. We're going to support him. He's got his back. We're going to watch his games. We're going to buy his jersey. And I think that that is like such a beautiful example in a very weird way of the difference of female friendships and how powerful it can be. We will support. We got your back. We'll know everything about you. We are invested in your life. We want to be there to support our girl and her relationship. And we're going to support her significant other. We're going to watch his games. It's like a different level that you just don't really see the flip side. Also, because it's all of these men who are fans of this one dude, they just, if the dude is married to a woman, then odds are the guys aren't going to care about the women. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it too. Which is a bummer. But I love that in this scenario, we are all friends with Taylor Swift. I mean, are we not? (laughs) She is my friend. I couldn't. (laughs) Not a pop star. She is my bestie. Yeah, exactly. No, but I like that. My point being, I think as a culture, we are embracing and loving and empowering female friendships instead of what it used to be, which is they're not supportive, they're catty, and there's drama. Competition. Competition. Yeah, a lot of that pitting women against each other, it still happens, obviously. And when it does, I think people are much more quick to be like, this is exhausting. We don't do this anymore. And we call it out. We lift other women up. This episode is like a prime example of that, honestly. It really is. How Danielle talks about female friendships, it really did make me cry because she goes through the research of why female friendships are so important for physical and mental and emotional health. And it's really fascinating. So let's dive into the episode. Danielle Bayer Jackson is a female friendship coach and educator, a friendship expert for Bumble for Friends, and host of the Friend Forward podcast, And she's a motivational speaker who has been featured on Oprah, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. She's dedicated to helping women learn how to create and sustain meaningful friendships. She shares such tangible research-based tips, like down to the exact conversation dialogue or how to turn a best friend into an acquaintance like we talked about. Everything she says is so deeply rooted in research, data, and psychology, so it's so interesting. In today's episode, we talk about why every adult deals with friendship issues, the secret to turning any acquaintance into a best friend, why you need different types of friendships, why your brain actually doesn't handle more than three to five close friends. That was so interesting. And then why conflict is a good sign in a friendship. This is not your usual friendship advice, okay? Everything Danielle said was so fascinating and seriously felt tremendously helpful. Like, I can apply all these tips to my life right now. It made me feel so much better about forming new connections. You guys are going to absolutely love this episode. Please welcome Danielle Bayer-Jackson to the Evergirl podcast. You've called female friendship a great equalizer because every woman struggles with it, no matter their age or status. What made you get into this work and dedicate your life to helping women form better friendships after you realized that it was something we all struggled with? 
I always joke that it certainly wasn't on my vision board at 10 years old to be a friendship <laughs> coach. People still look at me to like, girl, is that a real job? But it was kind of an accident. I was a high school English teacher for six years. Between classes, after class, most of my girl students are coming up to me with their issues. I didn't realize at the time I was coaching them through it, but that's what was happening. When I left that world to get into public relations, I made the foolish mistake of thinking, oh, I'm no longer working with teenagers, so I have left that drama behind. You know, I found out very quickly that even though my clients were these high achieving, charismatic, very uh, determined women, they too were privately struggling with issues with other women. And so that's when I doubled down and was like, you know what, let me leverage my backgrounds as an educator to study what the research has to say about women's cooperation, communication and conflict. And now that's what I get to do for a living. And it has been um, a blessing to be on this journey. It's so easy for us as adult women to be like, oh, teenage life is so dramatic and there's all these friends issues and there's mean girls. But then I think a lot of us don't realize we're still dealing with a lot of the same dynamics and same issues. One of the most common questions we've gotten since the Every Girl's Inception over 10 years ago was, how do I make friends as an adult? It's something that so many women are struggling with, but we don't really think that other women are feeling that. We see on social media. Everyone else is their friends. Everyone else is good. We are the only ones struggling, but we all are feeling the same way. So it's like this phenomenon where we're all dealing with it, but I feel like a lot of people are not claiming it or talking about it. Why do you think that it is something that so many women struggle with? You know, up until a pandemic, I believe that the extent of the public discourse around friendship was you either have friends or you don't. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't leave much room to vocalize, man, I'm struggling, or I don't know what it is, but I've had a lot of friendships dissolve in the past two years. Or, you know, there's so much shame around not getting it right. I think especially for women, because there's this an assumption that, well, you're a woman, you guys are like naturally communal, just go out and chat with some girls. So if I find that I'm struggling or there's tension, if we continue to perpetuate the idea that friendship should be easy, then I am going to hide in shame and deal in isolation with issues that are actually universal, but I don't want to make them public because friendship is supposed to be easy. So if I'm getting it wrong and it's difficult for me, what's wrong with me? And so I'm glad that recently people are having more open conversations around, okay, what's a good friend? How do you end a friendship? How do you start one? Because it's not something that's necessarily intuitive. And because there's research that shows that we tend to replace half of our friends every seven years, which says to me that you will always be having to make new friends. It's not something that stopped once you graduate high school. So I think the sooner we lean into that, the more confidently we can go into building more new friendships without shame. Yeah. With friendships, there's no context that we see in the world where it feels normal that friendships don't work out or we're comparing ourselves to What our lives used to be, I think another phenomenon for women when it comes to friendships is when you're in school, you get to be friends with the other people in your class. When you get to college, you get to be friends with the other people in your dorm or in your sorority or in your club or in your class. And so we have all these systems. But when people get to be an adult, they're like, where's my built-in system to make friends? Or like when you move to a new city, like I moved to LA, I worked from home. I didn't go into an office, so I had no way that it it was the first time in my whole life that I had to think, oh, I have to go out and seek out friendships rather than be in an environment that is offering that for us. 
So it's like we go through this system throughout school where our friendships are almost given to us. And then we get to be an adult and we're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm supposed to be finding friends. And then how am I supposed to be keeping them? And then what am I going to do with the friends that I no longer live with? There's all these complicated dynamics that no one prepares you for. And so I think it's so important what you do to share. This is something every woman is going through, that this is a universal feeling of, I don't have enough friends. I don't know how to make new Mm -hmm. friends. I don't know how to keep friends. I'm struggling with this. What happened with this friend breakup? You know, that we're all struggling with these things, but nobody is talking about this weird phenomenon. Oh, 100%. There's research that tells us that our friendship network grows and grows until about the age of 26, at which point it begins to shrink rapidly. And that might be for a lot of us consistent with some of our life experiences. It's about the time maybe you're a few years removed from college. You're focusing on either establishing family ties or working your way up your career path. And so a lot of things become concentrated. A lot of things are competing for your time and energy as opposed to hanging out in the dorms all day with your friends. So a lot of things are different. And then your friends are moving across the world trying to pursue their careers. And then you've got other things now competing for your attention. So for a lot of people, mid-20s is around the time you have to facilitate for the very first time your own friend-making opportunities. What are you going to do to coordinate hangouts? What do you say? How do you create a consistency? Something like you said was given to us when we had school as a backdrop to help facilitate those connections for us. Now I've got to figure out, okay, how do I clock hours with her? How do I see her? What do I say? How do I make sure we link up again? And so, no, it's not something we're taught. I think a lot of us think it's either something you either have it or you don't, like you got it or you don't, uh, which is not true. So I'm really glad we're at least having the conversation so people can see like, oh, this is something that I can be strategic about, like with anything else. Another thing that I think is interesting that probably correlates with all that research is it's the first time where you are at different points with your friendships. There are some friends that are getting married, some friends that are having children. You might be having children. Other friends are single. And so there's like so much discrepancy between what people have time for, what they're focusing on that you might feel in a totally different place. Is it healthy to allow friendships to change and to give yourself more space? What advice do you offer for people that feel like they're in a totally different place from their friends? Yeah, so that is huge. That's probably, I would say right under how do I make friends? That's probably the number two question is how do I maintain my friendships when we're in different life seasons? And so the first thing I like to do is just simply acknowledge that's actually normal, especially for women historically, now we're working outside of the home, working inside of the home. If you're breastfeeding and you're a new mom, that's hours a day in isolation. The last thing you're thinking about is going to brunch. I mean, there's just so much that happens in a woman's life cycle that does kind of suck them away from their people for a period of time. And we're like, where did my people go? What's happening? Um, That disruption is totally normal. The second thing I like to advise is you do have to be strategic about who you're going to prioritize in your life. And I know that sounds harsh, but there's something known as Dunbar's number. And essentially the idea is that our brains can only cognitively handle 150 social connections. And if you think of that like a big, big circle and then smaller concentric circles inside of that, they get gradually smaller, but it represents a greater degree of closeness. And in that small circle, you only have the cognitive capacity for three to five super close relationships because of all that is required. Your time, that's a limited resource, your energy, you're sharing with them, they're sharing with you. You have to get really clear on if this woman who's your friend becomes a new mom and she kind of disappears and you're like, what's going on? You know, you have to ask yourself, if if this is my top girl, I'm going to have to be a little more 
strategic and coordinating in how we maintain our friendship. But give yourselves some grace. You've never been friends like this before. So a lot of us kind of bulk at change like, oh my God, this is so different. If this is one of your top three to fives, you say, okay, what works for you? Do you want me to come hang out with you while you breastfeed or can we do FaceTimes? We're going to have to collaboratively figure out ways to keep a rhythm because life does get in the way. If she matters to you, how can we do the work to figure out how to keep a rhythm? One thing that kind of helps take the wind out of everything is simply articulating it. Like simply saying, okay, I know you're booed up now if she's a newlywed or I know you've got the baby, but it's so important to me that we we keep things going. And I know that's probably really hard for you right now. How can we make this work? Because I miss you. I mean, literally just articulating that shows her you are top of mind for me. I'm really willing to work out to figure out what we can do to keep this going. And it makes people tend to be more engaged about the work required to maintain the friendship. That's so powerful for so many reasons. It's interesting for me because I think when we look at friendships, we see it as a limitless resource. But really, if you knew I only have three to five spots, that's precious real estate. So who is worth that real estate for you? I think that that helps reframe who is worth the time, the investment in, and that's how it's it gets easier to focus and prioritize those relationships. But on the flip side, for a lot of people also in this phase where you're becoming an adult, you're growing up. A lot of people also have the opposite reaction, which is everything else becomes the focus first. Maybe it's your career becomes the focus. Maybe it's your spouse, your children. There's all these other things that become more of a priority than your friendships. And I'm curious, why do you think that friendship, especially female friendship, is so important? I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Friendship in general is important. I mean, there's like so much research. The number one preventer of depression from a 2020 research study is having somebody to talk to. And people who have strong social networks have better mental health, less anxiety, less depression. They're living longer. People who have chronic loneliness, they're saying it's just as physically detrimental to your body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. But I like to go the next step and talk about the data around how important it is to have other women specifically in your life. There's research out of the Harvard Business Review that shows that women who have female-dominated circles tend to make more money. They have fewer heart issues. They get better sleep. They have decreased cortisol when they seek out the help of another woman in times of distress. There's so much that comes from befriending somebody who knows what it's like to navigate this world as a woman and getting that affirmation when I come to her for help, for her to pour life into me and to give me advice because she knows being friends with other women is just so important. But yes, it does tend to get pushed to the margins of our lives. We have so many other things screaming for our attention. If you're a newlywed, it's important to you to make sure your person feels seen, your new partner. So you're pouring into that. If you have kids, you're not thinking about anything else because they depend on you to walk and breathe and eat. Logically, it's a lot. I like to advise, give yourself grace if certain things start to change because you're getting pulled in a lot of different ways. But especially for moms with a mom guilt too, your kids need to see you model friendship. They need to see you model what it looks like to be in healthy platonic relationships. And if you're working and all your time's going to work, we've all heard the stories of people on their deathbed. They're not wishing they clocked more hours at work. So I think we all know intuitively to prioritize them, it becomes difficult. One tangible thing I can offer is instead of looking for more hours with your friends and how can I have more hours in the day, you need to start looking at how can I stack the time that I already have? So if I only have a few hours available, then how can I make the most of this? If I do laundry every Sunday night, well, then that's when we're also doing our FaceTime. If I walk 
the park with my baby every afternoon to get some fresh air? Can my friend come with me and tell me about her date last night? How can I stack the hours I've got? Because being engaged with you and being updated on the developments of your life is important to me. Friendship is just that important for my physical, mental, and emotional health. That's such a good tip to think of how to stack hours so that you can fit it in and make it all work and not be a stressor, but that that can be a priority in your life as well because it deserves to be there. I also want to cry hearing you talk about female friendships specifically because I feel like in our culture, there's a lot of cliches about female friendships. There's a lot of the competition among women. You see the frenemy trope a lot in media. And especially like working at an all-female company, the main thing I get asked, which I still think in 2023, I think this is crazy, but the main thing I get asked is, oh, there's got to be a lot of drama if you work for an all-female company. And every single time I'm like, it is the best thing ever. It's so supportive and it's so emotional. Like everybody understands each other, not emotional in the way that there's drama, emotional in the way that we're all so connected with each other's lives. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. And so hearing you talk about why female friendship is a benefit is so, again, it like makes me want to cry because I that's how I feel. But there's so much from the media and culture that tells us that women cannot actually be these like deep supportive connections. I always joke that if you walk into a room and you bring up the subject of women's friendships, you're either going to have people say, oh my gosh, women are the worst. Like they're so catty and competitive. I don't have time for the drama. And then you're going to have women who are like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. What a beautiful gift having women in my life. And I always say it's somewhere in the middle because a bunch of us have stories of women who have done very hurtful things. And we have stories of women who helped changed our lives for the better and poured into us and just made us believe in ourselves. It's both because women, like anybody else, we're people. So women are great. Women can also be driven to be competitive if they're not quite secure in certain things. So it's all that. You're going to get all of it when you engage in relationships with other people. The research also shows that 70% of a woman's social network is other women. So at some point, we got to figure out, okay, how do I navigate this? What are the things that make us bicker? What are the things that bring us back to, to connection again? That's why I'm so fascinated by it because I'm like, you can't escape it. We're everywhere. And so, yeah, I, I've seen the negative sides, the positives. Uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle because we're people and we have the capacity for really beautiful things and also really ugly things sometimes because we're all dealing with our own stuff. Sometimes we project that onto friends. Sometimes we're working out our grief, our anger, insecurities with the people closest in our circle. And I'm the hero in some women's friendship stories. I think I'm also the villain. I think some girls from high school could say, Danielle, let me down. Or, or, or if I'm keeping a real friend from two years ago can say, Danielle, let me down or didn't show up. And I have to hopefully learn from that or plead with them for another chance to get it right. And so it's complicated, but I'll say this. My husband once said to me like, oh my gosh, it's just so complicated with you guys. And I looked up the definition of complicated and it said the intersection of many parts. And I said to him, you're absolutely right. It is. And I no longer take that as an insult. It is complicated because we're bringing so many parts to the table as women. And the research shows men don't do that. Going to have those highs and lows. It comes with the package. Yeah, that's really powerful, though, to, to redefine complicated like that. I, I love that. But that's so true. We're humans. So there's going to be pros. There's going to be cons. There's going to be insecurities. There's going to be problems. But that's just on being a human. I don't know if you've seen that SNL mm -hmm. skit where it was like the straight male friend. And it was like <laughs> all about how they bring no complications. They're like, I just want to hang out and watch 
uh, football game and not to generalize male friendships, because I think that there obviously is a lot mm-hmm. of beautiful male friendships that are very deep and very connected. But on average, you see a lot of male friendships that are more focused on the surface level. Let's grab a beer. Every time my boyfriend has a friend who's going through something and they go out and I'm like, so how's the new baby? And he's like, oh, I think fine. I'm like, that's not what you talked about the entire time. Males just don't bring all the vulnerability that I think as women when we meet and and we really want to connect. So I think that's a great point that that is such a beautiful side of it. But with the vulnerability and with the connection, there also all the insecurities can come out too, and that can cause problems. So it's not that among women there's drama or that there's no support or that there's competition. It's that I think that women are naturally more vulnerable together. At the end of the day, it's knowing that and learning yourself through the lens of friendships, I think is something that we get as a gift for women, not something that is a negative thing. Totally, totally. It's really nice for me to hear you talk about like, God, it's just so beautiful working with with all these women. And I know one reality is there's probably women who are listening who are like, man, I want what you just described. I, I haven't had that or I have trauma around friendships or whatever it is. And they have such a desire for the picture you're painting about these beautiful relationships with women. And for that woman who's listening, I I just want her to know that is totally possible for her at any stage. Because some of us start to think, well, it's too late for me. I'm in my 40s or, or whatever it is. It's never too late. And I know this sounds really cheesy, but getting really, really comfortable with who you are as a woman, how you define womanhood, because I've noticed that positions you to enjoy other women more when you're very comfortable with who you are. And then finally, do what you got to do to start to invite those connections into your life. I'm so glad when I hear people are now leveraging technology to make friendships that used to be seen as weird at one point. They recently launched Bumble for Friends, which is an app where you can swipe for friends now. And I encourage women, figure out what kind of women do I want in my life? Do I want gym buddies? Do I want career-focused women? Earlier, you were talking about when our friendships pop that tension because we're in different life stages. You want to maintain those friends, but it's also helpful to have women who are in the same season to give you that support. They understand. And so doing things like leveraging technology, a Bumble for Friends, and other avenues to position yourself to invite new connections into your life, to enjoy the beauty you're talking about of women's friendship, and also to bring in new connections that can affirm the various aspects of your identity is really important. And to be specific about what type. Do you want someone that's going to want to watch The Bachelor with you on Monday nights? Do you want someone that's going to motivate you to go to the gym? Do you want someone that's on a similar track with career and you guys can bounce ideas off of each other? That's a really cool thing to think about. Like, What would you get out of the friendship? What are you looking for? And that there are ways to seek it out and go find those people. So for all the women, the millions and millions of women who ask, how do I make friends as an adult? What is your answer, Danielle? What are the tips to form better connections. I'm thinking both for people who are like moving to a new city and don't know where to begin or people that have a social circle, but it's not as close and fulfilling as I feel like Mm. I would like my friendships to be. So overall, how can we make those close, meaningful, deep connections as an adult? Okay, I'm going to hit you with the cliff notes because we could do this all day. And I'm also glad that you asked like for the people who are saying, I have friends, but I'd like more depth because a lot of my clients are extroverts who've got Mm. tons of people in the phone, but do you have anybody you could call at 2 a.m. to tell your troubles to? So making that differentiation is is so important. Okay, so just a quick hit list. The first thing I say is making new friends 
and meeting new people aren't necessarily synonymous because making friends refers to the art of cultivating something meaningful with another person and who says you have to start from scratch. So for some of us, it's starting with people you already know who maybe you don't talk to and starting right there because they're already in your phone. And if that's already making you cringe, the research says that we tend to greatly underestimate how much people appreciate us reaching out to them. So the average person is delighted that you were like, hey, I saw this and I thought of you. I thought I'd send it your way. How are you? The average person's like, wow, thank you for thinking of me. So the first thing is start with what you've already got. The second thing is to leverage the network of super connectors. So these are people who thrive on bringing different people together. Send that person a text or DM. Hey, I'm trying to get more plugged in. And I thought of you because you're always out and about doing something cool. And I just thought like, you know, do you know of any events around here that are worth checking out? Do you know of any book clubs around here? That person is usually so flattered you thought of them and they are down to help. So they don't necessarily have to be your friend, just somebody you know in your network who loves being in the mix and asking them like, I'm trying to get plugged in. Can you help me out? They are delighted. So why are you limiting yourself to your tiny little network? The third is to become a regular somewhere. I know a lot of us, we work from home and we get in that rut of just being in the house. We don't even go out to get groceries. We can get them delivered. We're not going to the movie theater. We can watch it on Prime Video. So there's a lot that's happened that's made us very in our own bubble, which scares me a little bit. There's fresh research that finds that in around 2013, we were spending on average six hours a week with our friends. That is now a little over two. And in that time, has gone toward us being alone. So if we need to disrupt that right now, how can you become a regular somewhere? Whether it's every Friday morning you work from the same coffee shop for just two hours, but how can you start to create that rhythm? Because like you said earlier, we romanticize, oh, when I was in school, it was so much easier. A lot of it was because of something called the mere exposure effect, meaning you tend to favor people who are simply familiar. And we saw the same faces every day. How can you create that? Now you've got to do it by yourself. So how can I create regularity with the same familiar faces every Wednesday at a sports club or every first Tuesday of the month at a book club? How can you create your own rhythm and familiarity and routine and become a regular somewhere? Because that's the beginning to having those serendipitous moments. We hear it all the time when we roll our eyes, but get involved in certain interest groups. And I know it feels like, oh gosh, really? Well, yeah. A lot of us, and I'll end with this, we're waiting on the right people in our lives to come in and then we'll go and do stuff. No, no. If you love to hike, guess where those girls are? They're hiking. You love book clubs? Guess where those girls are? They're at the book club. Think about the interests you already have. How can you socialize them by just one degree? Stop doing it on your own by yourself on the couch and be among people who would probably be great potential candidates for friends. You will be amazed how suddenly it seems like new friends are everywhere. So many good tips that are resonating with me so much. As you're talking, I'm like, yeah, Josie, you got some things to work on, especially because I am an extroverted person. I feel like meeting new people is not a problem for me. But because of what I do and then I'm constantly talking and constantly connecting, I don't know if it's maybe like socially drained or what it is. There are so many people I've connected with and I'm like, I would love to be her friend. Getting from that place of I met her, loved her, we had coffee, was amazing to the point of I can be myself, she's my best friend, I don't need to think about it. Like that gap feels exhausting to me. So I find myself always just going to the friends that I'm comfortable with rather than extending my social circle. 
So how do you turn an acquaintance or someone that you met that you really like, how do you turn that person into a great best friend? Oh my God. Okay. Yes. So many good questions. So there's research that finds that it takes 34 hours to take someone from an acquaintance to a friend. This is where a lot of us are like, okay, and where exactly am I coming up with 34? (laughs) But this can happen over a period of three months, five months, naturally over time. I call these conversation funnels. So if I'm having a conversation with a woman for the first time and I'm like, man, she seems cool. I am listening very closely to anything she tells me about herself, her preferences, goals, what she does on the weekend. And then when that conversation closes, I'm not just going to say, oh, this was fun. Okay, good talking to you. I need to set future me up with intel that she can use to keep momentum. So let's say the friend mentions the new Beyonce movie coming out and how she's going to go see it. I might say, oh, yeah, did you see this article that came out talking about the behind the scenes footage from the documentary? I'll send it to you. What's your Instagram? Then tomorrow I'm sending her the link because now I have a way to contact her. And I have a reason to contact her. So I'm not dealing with that whole like, okay, what do I say? Is this awkward? It's been a week. I'm setting future me up. I positioned myself as a resource. Oh, you mentioned you love hiking. Here's a link to these two beautiful places around town that you would love. If you like to hike, you would love these spots. So I'm a resource, right? Oh, you mentioned you love whatever. Here's a podcast episode. You're going to love it. Okay. So I'm already acting as a friend, even in the beginning stages, friendly, warmth, sending you resources, right? And then after you have kept momentum in these new conversation funnels, three things you want to prioritize to create depth in that friendship. And this comes from friendship expert Shasta Nelson is positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. Those three things tend to create depth and relationship. So once you've identified your three to five girls who you want to go deep with, Those would be the things you need to focus on increasing and you'll probably be able to enjoy greater satisfaction. I want to also ask you about not expecting every friend to be everything for you. I'll give an example. I've experienced this before where I will have a great friend that I love and like we have so much fun together. But then I find myself starting to think of her Mm -hmm. less because she won't be my friend that I'm going to as a shoulder to cry on, you know, but like she's a great person to have fun with and brings a lot of fun to my life. I've had to learn over the years that not every friend should be everything, but it's actually finding the fun, finding support, finding everything that you need from friendships, not in one person, but in multiple friendships. Is that what you found that it's more beneficial to not expect people to be everything and think about what you need and have that fulfilled in multiple relationships rather than just one? Totally. Everything you're describing is spot on. I feel that way too. And I've seen that. I can agree with you, not just from a personal standpoint, but from a research-based quantifiable standpoint too. There is research that shows that people who have greater relational diversity are happier than people who do not. For example, I'm a, a mom. I've got two little ones. So I definitely need mom friends for sure. But that can't be it because I have other aspects of my identity. As a Black woman, it's helpful to have other Black friends who share a certain experience. As a woman, I need woman friends who just get it. As an entrepreneur, so on and so forth. I have church friends. I've got happy hour friends. If you do tell yourself, okay, this person can be my gym buddy. I don't think that's reductive. I understand that as a woman, she's more complex and offers more things. But maybe in my life, I feel really satisfied that she's my gym buddy. That's what we talk about. Maybe I try to push and I'm like, okay, could she also talk about pop culture and spirituality and prayer, oh, she can't really engage or she's not interested. Instead of dismissing like, oh, withdraw from this friendship, you can if you like, but there's something about saying, how can I allow myself to enjoy what she does have to offer my life 
and find a way to be content. So I do think it's special when we find a bestie and a person who can be all the things. That is very, very special. But I don't want us to miss out on what other women could offer because we want everyone to be all the things. Again, the research shows that people who have greater relational diversity are happier. So allow yourself to lean into people's unique offerings. I think you'll find more satisfaction in your friendship landscape. It definitely helps you feel more fulfilled because when you're expecting every friend you have to check every single box, then you're focusing on the boxes that they don't check rather than focusing Mm. on the boxes they do check. And then also like when you're aware, okay, they don't check a box. That doesn't mean they're not a good friend. That means I can go find what you're missing from that friendship elsewhere while appreciating what they're bringing you. And I think that that's a recipe for fulfillment in friendships rather than constantly feeling disappointed. It's like looking at all of the relationships in your life, your family, your friends, your spouse, all of those relationships holistically to make sure that all your boxes are getting checked from that holistic group of relationships, not from one specific one. Totally. And you know what helps to put it in perspective? And and this was told to me by Laura Tremaine, who is an author. She says, you flip it around. I don't know that I can be anybody's everything. I don't know that I want to be because I don't want my friends disappointed with me. So I'm glad that for some of my friends, I'm just their mom friends. I know that I offer other layers as a woman, but as a friend in your life, the role that I play, I'm content with being your super awesome, super supportive mom friends. And the main reason we're friends is because our kids are friends. That's cool with me. And, And I don't check everybody's boxes as well. And so I think that helps to put some things in perspective. That's so true. I want to dive into conflict. I've seen you say before that conflict is important in female friendships. Why do you believe that conflict is actually an important thing for friendships rather than something that that is a red flag? So conflict is like my thing, right? And I love talking about it because we often see it as evidence that we are not compatible. So we'll be cool. We're kicking it. We're having fun. And then as soon as there's this tension or you said something that I'm like, ooh, I didn't like how that felt. We start to say, okay, maybe this was not what I thought. What makes me nervous is a lot of us are ending friendships prematurely because we anticipate conflict in our romantic relationships. We're ready to talk through it. But for some reason, we still subscribe to the fantasy that our friends should just get it. And if I'm getting into it with a friend, this is a sign that we shouldn't be friends. But we are humans. You're bringing your own set of desires, goals, sensitivities to the table. And so is she. Don't we think at some point we're going to have competing interests? We need to learn the skills to resolve it, to have those conversations with as minimal damage as possible. But there's research that shows that on the other side of healthy conflict, people are even closer than before. I recently even went through something with a friend very recently, and it was awkward and just so like, what is happening? Is this the end? All those things. And I feel closer to her now that we have talked it out two or three times, because now I feel like, oh, I understand why that rubbed you the wrong way. Oh, I didn't know that that was a boundary for you. So now I walk away feeling like I understand her better. She understands me better. And we feel closer. We just need to stop seeing conflict as a sign that maybe this wasn't meant to be because it's just going to be inevitable. The question becomes, how do you guys work through it? I'm so guilty of that. I've done that way too many times in the past where I'm like, well, if we're disagreeing about this one thing, I don't need her. And then it's to kind of dismiss all the benefits that someone brings to your life. We're all wondering, how do we get deeper connections? But then we're not 
allowing ourselves to have conflict with friends that will get us to that deep connection. So how do we manage conflict with friends? What's a healthy way to go about that? The first thing is you want to avoid what's known as fundamental attribution error. And that's just a big fancy way of saying humans have this tendency of if a friend or another person screws up, we attribute it to their character. If we screw up, we attribute it to our circumstances. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You tend to say, what a jerk. People just do not care about other people. They're so selfish and reckless. If I cut somebody off in traffic, it's like, okay, I don't normally do that, but I almost missed my turn. Or I had to because I'm running late. And so we tend to do that about a lot of things. Something negative happens or your friend says or does something. I want you to catch how quickly your brain goes to thinking it's a, a reflection of her character. If she is late for dinner, do you go to, wow, she's disrespectful. She doesn't even care enough to call me. Or do you go to, what's going on, girl? This is the second time you're running late. Do we need to go to places closer to your house? Are we going out too late? You want to meet earlier? Like, how am I going to her circumstances instead of her character? Because my theory is what happens is if I start seeing you as having low character or this is a character flaw, it becomes harder to reconcile with you. I don't have any motivation to reconcile with you because I don't want to reconcile with somebody who's so different from me. So being careful about that moment mentally where you start to see her as other and how could she and maybe she's not what I thought, that right there is a slippery slope. When it comes to having hard conversations, telling yourself I'm talking with her, I'm not talking at her, and I'm trying to be curious as possible. So let's say she says something to you that feels like a dig in front of a bunch of other people. Your brain's going to go to, that was shady. I can't believe we're going to go and tell other friends. What did she mean by that? Instead, I'm going to find a, a chill moment. And I might say to her, hey, last night you said something when we were all at the party. And I just thought about it all night. I, w- I wasn't sure what to make of that. What did you mean by that? Okay. I'm not coming in hot. This is her chance to say, wait, what? Oh my God, I didn't mean it like that. It's her chance to say, okay, you're right. That was not cool. And let me just say right now, I'm sorry for that. Okay. But how can I stay curious? And how can I see this conflict as a chance to work together to figure out a solution? That just changes the tone and the trajectory from, I can't believe she did that. What does she mean by that? That was so shady. Maybe she's not a real friend. And then gradually this chasm just builds. It's just something to look out for. I don't know if you're a reality TV fan, but I love Bravo. It's my guilty pleasure or my, I shouldn't even say guilty. It's just my pleasure and I'm proud about it. But why I love it is because I'm so intrigued watching all of these friendships and dynamics play out. And in every single Bravo show, you see this time and time again on Housewives on everything. When there's conflict, it is always because someone heard something that someone else said about them. And then rather than assuming, I must have heard the wrong thing, or maybe that's not true. Maybe it was misconveyed to me. Maybe they were having a bad day and we've all had a bad day where we're saying things we don't mean. Like rather than looking at the circumstances, they see it as that's an attack on my character and that's a default of their character. And then it spirals into an issue because they're viewing it as a character default rather than an incident that was based on circumstance and environment. Obviously, in the reality TV world, that's a way dramatized version. But I think that that's very true for real life. It gets misconstrued to them. And then rather than talking to them, I think that's the main part that people miss that I've missed in the past, where if we feel like someone did not do right by us, rather than talk to them and say, why did that happen? What was your perspective of it? So I can understand how do we start those conversations? If we feel hurt by a friend, if we feel like they have wronged us, 
in some way? How do we have the conversation? There's a lot of ways to go about this. There's so many books, articles, and conflicts and all that. A couple of things that I've seen work. The first thing is holding in that mindset. Okay, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm going to have a conversation because I'm curious and not let me go tell her about herself and all the ways that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to bring my list of how she's done this four other times. So we're suspending that attitude. I like to do this exercise, a start a conversation that's difficult. I want you to think about the main reason you don't want to have this conversation. Maybe it's because you think she's going to make it drama. She's going to get defensive. It's going to be awkward. She's going to go and tell your mutual friend and it's a whole thing. Whatever that is, try allowing that to be your very first sentence. So I might say, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something, but I've been putting it off because the last thing I want is for it to be awkward between us or the last thing I want is for the other girls to get involved and it's a whole thing. Or the last thing I want is is for you to misunderstand me and then be upset. Okay, so I'm calling it out of why I'm reluctant to even have the conversation. But it's really important to me that we're on the same page. And so I thought I'd bring it up just so we're on the same page. I'm showing her the purpose of me bringing this up is for us to be in harmony. I'm not coming at you. So it shows her we're on the same team. And then I'm going to ask a question. What did you mean by what you said yesterday? Or, you know, I was disappointed that you didn't come to my event. It's not the same without you there. And I was just wondering, did I miss something? Did something come up? Or I was just wondering why you weren't able to come. So I'm posing a question, not, I just want to let you know that that was messed up how you, but, 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 but. I'm asking you a question. This is her chance to give me information that I might not have known otherwise, but we're working together to figure this out. And then it always needs to end with, what are we doing together moving forward to make sure this never happens again? So it might be like, next time I'll let you know how important it is to me. You're right. I did downplay it. I really did want you there. Or next time I'll be a little more direct. I shouldn't have hinted around playing games or or testing you. I should have just told you directly I'd love for you to come. So moving forward, how will this be different? We talk about emotional safety in a friendship. And I would argue that you having hard conversations with me as my friend makes me feel safe. I've always said, and this is kind of a hot take, it's difficult for me to be friends with people who are people pleasers because I'm always guessing. I don't know if I I picked this restaurant, but you tell me it's okay, but it's really not okay. Or did I tick you off yesterday at lunch when I made that comment, but you told me it was cool and I don't want to guess. I need friends who are like, okay, Danielle, that was not cool what you said. As your friend, I want any data you can give me on how to love you well. If you do not give me that information, I'm out here looking like a fool. Please tell me what makes you feel loved. Please tell me what makes you feel uncomfortable because I want to do a good job. That's what conflict is. You're giving me information. Let's work this out together. But avoiding it is not doing anybody any favors. That makes so much sense. I think that when we are honest and not honest in the way where we're hurting anyone's feelings or we're causing more issues, but in the way that we're saying, I want to talk about this with you rather than go talk shit about you to our other friend behind your back and then you're going to hear about it. That builds self-trust. If someone were to come to me and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this because I care about our friendship. This made me feel this way. And I want to hear from you. What was your perspective? Why did this happen? That makes me trust her more. That makes me feel Mm -hmm. like she cares about our friendship. That makes me feel like she actually wants to fix things. That makes me feel like she actually loves me and wants to make their friendship work. It can only make a relationship stronger when you come at it from that way. And I love all the tips you gave for how to communicate it and how to frame it because it goes back to that 
piece of advice that I hear most often for romantic relationships, but I think it's true for friendships too, where it's like two people solving a problem together. It's not you against them. I feel like a lot of times it's also like, I want you to feel bad. And I feel like that's Mm. never the right way to go about conflict either, because you only want to make people feel bad when you associate what they did with their character rather than the circumstance, like you said. So how are we going to together fix a conflict for the benefit of our friendship to have a stronger, more fulfilling friendship? You just summed it up perfectly. And I think some of us are scared to have those talks because I think some of us know the friends who can go there with us and the ones that don't. And you're scared to prove it to yourself. Because I know there are some women who I enjoy, but I know they couldn't handle it if I said, hey, okay, what's going on last night? Because they do talk smack to other people. They are going to go and gossip. Yeah, Danielle just came at me yesterday. Or they are going to be really defensive. I've never heard them apologize to anybody in their lives. People who lack self-awareness, their goal is not to reconcile. It's to stroke the ego and and Mm. it's a power trip. Those people you can't go there with. And it's sad because it shows a certain capacity for conflict and safety in the friendship. So that's always a bummer. But when you find people who can go there with you and then you guys can move on, it's such a gift. That says so much when you guys can work through conflict together. I've also had friendships when I was younger. It was like I didn't even know what I did and I was getting the silent treatment. And I remember the only thing I was thinking was, this is showing me what kind of friend you are. This isn't making me feel bad because I don't even know what I did. I don't know what I did to make you upset. So it's not making me feel like I'm being punished, which I think was the point. It's making me feel like you're not the friend who actually cares about solving things with me. You're the friend that cares about being in a power dynamic where your ego is being fed at my expense is mm. how that made me feel. Mm. Mm. So, That's so good. working through conflict can be the best thing for a relationship or show you where a relationship may not be what you think it is. Is that right? Or is that, again, going back to Oh, 100%. Okay. I mean, I think we all want to enjoy platonic intimacy. Conflict's a part of that because I can't bring my troubles to her. I can't tell her the way she offended me. It's an emotional barrier. There's no safety here. So yes. at some point, I need to feel safe enough to be like, girl, what? What's going on? I need to feel safe enough to do that. But you're absolutely right. The friends who do the silent treatment, a real friend does not want to punish you. There should be no room for punishment in a friendship. If you are mad at me, I need you to tell me. But to want to hurt me or you want me to walk around wondering what I did, you want me to experience that kind of like psychological. Yeah. There's no time for that. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. Okay, woo! I feel like I just went to therapy. <laughs> now we are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. First question, I always like to to ask people this when we're talking about friendships. Your favorite depiction of female friendship in media? It can be a show, movie, it could be a celebrity duo that's besties. Like who do you see? And you're like, that is a great example of female friendship. Personally, for me, it's Molly and Issa from HBO's Insecure um, because it's the first show I've seen where women hash it out, they come back together, they talk about their feelings, and uh, showed conflict with a lot of nuance. So that's one of my favorites. Oh, that's a good one. That's so good. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Being the energy and not matching energy. Like, you are the energy. You're a connector. You set the tone of how it's going to be in the house and your friendships. You set the tone. And people where I see the occasion, I think it's made me bolder. So that's been something that's been really helpful lately. I love that so much. That reminds me, I saw something on TikTok once that was like, we depend on friendships to bring us fun. And instead going into times with our friends thinking, I'm going to bring the fun. 
I'm going to have fun no matter who I'm with, what I'm doing. Like that's always stuck with me. So I love how you phrase it of we are the energy. We get to bring what we want instead of depending on other people to bring it to us. Last question, a book that has changed your life. There have been so many. I'm going to say a book called The Good Enough Job has helped me because I am a recovering workaholic. I think a lot of millennials are. We grew up on that. It was not a book on friendship. It was helpful to me because it showed me how being obsessed with work and achieving and goal crushing can directly impact your relationships. So that has been a game changer for me this summer. I want to order that right now. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Okay, Danielle, let us know where we can find you, where we can listen to your podcast and where people can get more Danielle. Everything lives at betterfemalefriendships.com and I look forward to seeing everybody over there. Thank you so much. This was such a powerful, amazing conversation. I loved every second of it. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Evergirl Podcast on Instagram or theevergirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.